You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Awesome. Our kids seems amazing, and it's not just because Haven's crazy hats. Uh, we love our kids team. We love um, the whole Russell family, and I surely encourage you, if you haven't been involved, to get involved, and uh, we're excited about what God's doing in that ministry. Uh, at Banner Church, you know, we have our, our core values to be missional, accessible, transformational, relational, and honorable, and one of the things we always want to do is honor people who have been so important to this church and uh, to the development of this church, and uh, when I first moved here, uh, there were uh, Dana and Bridget were the lead pastors of the church at the time, and then there was a very limited staff, and that staff sat around a single coffee table, and that staff was Jensen and myself, and uh, we spent a lot of time together, and I was just, it was been amazing to see uh, his progression as a young leader, and uh, I just knew from the moment I saw him that God had such an amazing anointing, and he went away to college, and you know, there's a lot of rough things that have come from COVID, but Jensen being home and ministering with us has been one of the blessings of this very unique season. Uh, but now he has a really awesome opportunity he's going to take and step into an amazing season. I always told him, I said, I love you, man, but your anointing is, is greater than, than this place in this moment. God's called you to some amazing things. But I want to pray for him. I'm going to invite him up. Can we just honor and thank him this morning? A lot of... You know, the fruit that we are harvesting here is because of this young man at a young age when most people would be focused on, you know, getting theirs and doing their own thing. He faithfully served and cared. And so a lot of the fruit that's harvested is because of seeds he planted. And so we want to pray for him and thank him. And also, he's a really good friend. And, you know, I'm only mildly upset that he's going to be all the way on the other side of the country. But it's all right. We still get to read books together and do all the fun stuff. So, uh, but would you just reach your hands up? We want to pray for Jensen today. Um, Lord God, we thank you for this amazing man of God. We thank you for how he has blessed this church. We thank you for how you have used him. We thank you for how you have anointed him and called him. We pray just a protection over him. We pray a blessing over him. And God, I pray that as he steps in this new season, he would know that there is a church standing behind him and rooting for him and encouraging him and believing in great things that we have always seen and known in this amazing man of God. And I pray that as you use him to change the world, we just already rejoice in what what you're doing through him. So we send him out with the blessing that he has been to us and say, God, would you produce fruit in his life? Would you bring people to encourage? Would you bring those to support and Holy Spirit? Would you guide his heart and his mind and his whole being as he steps into this new venture? In Jesus' name, amen. Can we thank Jensen one more time? Well, hey, I'm excited that you are here this morning or joining us online. First service, we prayed for our online uh, people uh, because I, I've had some people this week call me and say, hey, uh, pastor, I just want you to know that I'm not avoiding the church. I'm not like out, you know, getting food and going to the bar, but then not coming to church. I just, I, I have health and I can't. And, and I really felt like saying like, hey, listen, uh, we love you. If you're watching online, that's why we have online is because we want you to join with us. And uh, especially if your health is uh, immune compromised or one of those things, I, I want you to know that we love you. We care for you. We celebrate you. And we're excited for the day when you can join with us here in person. But until then, we celebrate you. And I want to 
encourage you at any point during the message that you want someone to pray with you. If you're online, click live prayer. See, everyone else here, you would have to maybe like get up, bother Jensen, you know, you know you're somebody. Um, but if you're online, you can just click live prayer at any time and have someone pray with you, join with you, and we want to do that. But I'm excited to be back. My wife and I, we were uh, out of town. We went up into Northern California and, you know, hung out with family and went on the boat and went fishing and shooting and all, all the awesome stuff that you do out in the woods. Uh, and it was great um, to get away for a while. We're like, man, we, we need to go on a family trip. And my wife got to see her family, which was fantastic. Um, the, the trip was a 15-hour drive uh, with two young children uh, because we like suffering. <laughs> uh, we did the first part in two days because we were smarter. We did uh, the last 15-hour drive back home because, like I said, we like to suffer. Um, and <laughs> we, we had never taken our newly adopted son to, to uh, I don't know, maybe longer than two hours in the car, three, th four. We did a four-hour once. But we thought 15 would be safe, um, but I'm pretty sure it broke him. <laughs> We're still trying to figure it out, you know. Um, but we, we were on the way back, and we got this portable uh, Blu-ray player because my wife is a genius, and she's not only beautiful and anointed, but she's very smart. And she got this Blu-ray player. And so we were watching the movie Elf. Um, how many, I know you guys have probably, you've probably seen Elf. And as we're listening, I'm in the front seat. I can't watch it, but we're listening to Elf because my child perpetually loves Christmas. Last year, we watched The Grinch all year. This year, it's Elf, so pray for us. Uh, but as we're driving back, I'm listening to the Christmas song they sing at the end, and I have never more clearly understood the threatening nature of kids' Christmas songs until that day. Here's what I mean. Have you not noticed? Have you noticed that kids' Christmas songs are very threatening? Let me, let me tell you the one they were singing. You better watch out. You better not pout. You better not cry. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Okay, that sounds fine when you sing it. Now let me tell it to you. You better watch out. You better not pout. You better not cry. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town, and he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good. For goodness sake, you better watch out. You better not pout. You better not cry. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town, right? All of a sudden, not so much excited for Santa, right? Very threatening, very ominous. That's probably the Germanic roots. I don't know. Um, whatever it is, very threatening. But I, I really identified with it in the car, like, you better not pout because your presents won't come. I know Christmas is six months away. <laughs> Uh, I really identify, but I was really thinking about that nature of, you know, you know, how we view Santa Claus and how we threaten our children with, if they're not good enough, he won't come, he won't give them presents. And I was, as I was preparing for the message, and I was trying to think in my head about my sermon as I was driving 15 hours through Nevada, in case you're wondering, yes, Las Vegas is the only city in Nevada. There's basically nothing else. Everything else is a town with a, with named city. Uh, as we're driving, you know, 100 miles an hour through Nevada, I, I was thinking through this, and I was thinking about how uh, blessed I feel to know that I serve a God who is not Santa Claus. I'm so blessed to serve a God who is not making a list and checking it twice, going to find out if I'm naughty or nice because he's going to be disappointed. <laughs> I, I'm very thankful that I serve a God who's not like, you better not cry or else I'm not going to come and give you provision. I'm very thankful that we serve a God who is not uh, checking boxes to make sure if we messed up or not. Now, obviously, the holiness, righteousness, all important to God, all those things. But it's not like be good or else Jesus will not help you, right? We, we don't serve a God that's like, that's like Santa Claus, like, well, you know, you better not 
you know, be imperfect or else I'm going to go to the next chimney down and I'm going to bring salvation to that chimney, but not your chimney. We serve a God who intimately and individually cares about us and wants relationship with us. He's not an old man in the sky making a list, hoping that we measure up, hoping that we do. And if we do, then he'll send one of his little chubby cherubim angels down like all those weird, gaudy, you know, Italian paintings. They're going to drop in some kind of present or shoot you with an arrow. I don't know what they do, but, you know, it's like be good or else you're not going to get any provision from God. We don't serve a God like that. We serve a God who intimately cares about us. We serve a God who desires that we would have a life abundantly. And I was just thinking like, man, I'm so thankful. I was also thinking like, I don't know if we should listen to Christmas songs anymore, but that's personal preference. Um, but I was thinking, man, I'm so thankful for the Lord. And it, the verse that came to my mind is one of my favorite verses, and it's John 10, 10. If you like to take notes, just write that, John 10, 10. It's easy to remember because it's the same number twice, and it's like the most normal-sounding name in the Bible. It's not like Melchizedek or, you know, Hezekiah or, you know, Hashabekah, I don't know, whatever, speaking in tongues. It's normal, John 10, 10. John 10, 10, here's what it says. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came, meaning Jesus that they may have a life and have it abundantly. Somebody say abundantly. If you're online and you said abundantly and you feel a little let down by that moment, type abundantly. Meanwhile, we're all going to say, say abundantly. Abundantly. There we go. Abundantly. Abundantly. You know what I noticed as we drove uh, basically through every desert imaginable in this country, up through California and into Nevada and back down to Arizona, uh, we hit some of the major cities that people desire to live in, Los Angeles, um, some people Las Vegas, that we would say at least hold a lot of the features of Western culture. But I will give you uh, two things real quick. One, California, if you're watching, I said this in first service, I'll say it again, just in case maybe someone clicked in who makes policy or decisions. Listen, you could fix COVID if you just put soap in your bathrooms. Listen to me, California. I went to every bathroom. No soap in a single bathroom. So either everyone simultaneously decided to wash their hands, which I doubt because I saw people go out, but there's no soap. Put soap in the bathrooms. Two, but most importantly, is as I drove around, I noticed that people were not living life abundantly. That we as a people are not living to the fullest. We're living anxiously. So many are living afraid. So many are living depressed. So many are compensating. So many are exhausted. So many are selfish or apathetic to everything, not living life to the fullest. People say, well, that's COVID. You know, that's just, that's what it's done to our culture and to our country. And I would say that crisis does not build character. It just brings it to the surface. That's that's the tough thing. Crisis rarely will just build a character. Now, you can build character in crisis, but often crisis, trial, struggle will just highlight or reveal character that exists. And the character of our culture is not about mass economy distancing. It's about pride. It's about fear. It's about depression. It's about loneliness. It's about isolation. There is a struggle. It is more than just COVID. There is a struggle in our country now where we are not living life abundantly as God intended. I'm not saying abundantly financial. I'm not saying abundantly good looking. I'm not saying abundantly in policy or political leaders that we like or dislike. I'm saying abundantly as God defines it in the fullness of freedom, hope, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. Abundantly. Because it's more 
than COVID. It's more than the economy. Right now, there is a spiritual battle happening. You know, in October, we're going to do a series called Angels and Demons. And that's because a lot of people have asked me, we have a young church, a lot of people who uh, are new to the faith or come um, from a faith that maybe highlights spiritual forces or different things. They're like, hey, ask me about angels, ask me about demons. And I was like, man, we really need to preach on what is the spiritual realm that the Bible talks about. What, who, who is Satan, right? Who is the, the enemy? What are angels? What are demons? What are they not, right? Because culture portrays them in all kinds of really unique ways. What are all these things? But I don't have the time to go in like every element of the spiritual realm. So you're just going to have to be in church through October, um, <laughs> I guess. The next series is called Fearless. So, you know, we're going to really nail it in. Um, but what I do want to say today is that we do have a very real enemy. We have a very real enemy spiritually, and that is Satan or the devil, or if you want to go with, you know, an adapted name, Lucifer. There are demonic forces who want to steal, kill, and destroy your hope, your freedom, your life, your eternity. They don't want you to have joy. They don't want you to have hope. They don't want you to have love. And they sure as heck don't want you to have eternity. There are forces that do not. And I know immediately when I say that, if you're new to the church, you're like, oh my gosh, what church did I come through? He's already said demons and angels and spiritual forces. This is going to get so weird, and we sat way too close to the front. <laughs> At least if you're online, you could just click away. Please don't. I say this to say, I know we get weird about this stuff, church, culture, because we're willing to admit that it's interesting, but not willing to admit that it's real. But can I tell you, we have a real enemy. The enemy came to destroy. But my favorite part of John 10, 10 is that the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. But it says, Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Here's the amazing thing about the church. We're crazy but not in the way that you think if you've never been to church. We are weird and crazy because we can have hope when everything sucks. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy that the church can have hope and joy and passion and power when everything is just terrible? Why? Is it because we're ignorant or dumb because we don't pay attention or because we only vote a certain way or look a certain way or act? No, it's because we have received something that is powerful that transcends our situation. And so we as Christ followers in complete crisis can have complete peace. If you have never encountered Jesus Christ, let me tell you, this is what's amazing about Jesus Christ. It's not so I can lock you into a group of rules today and send you out like you just signed up for a spiritual timeshare. It's because there is joy and hope and love and eternal life in Jesus Christ. Enemy came to destroy, but Christ came that we might have life abundantly. How do we have life abundantly in crisis, economic crisis, relational crisis, family crisis, difficulty, broken world? It's because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. I want to read a scripture to you. If you brought your Bible, would you go to 1 John 4, verse 1? If not, the words will be on the screen. If you're watching online, I don't know, Google it or click the link that's available, one of the two. Uh, if you're looking for it in your Bible, it's before the end and after the beginning. If you go to John and then you keep going, you'll find 1 John. If you find 2 John, you went too far. Hope that was helpful. But 1 John 4, it says this. When you talk about demons, you got to try to lighten it up every once in a while, you know. As people leave, they're all sad, and then they never come back. <laughs> it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, 
but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Okay, I know I've said angels, I've said Satan, I've said demons, I've said Antichrist. Don't freak out, don't leave, trust me here. I'm going to explain it. <laughs> Little children, this is important, verse 4. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever, whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit and truth and the spirit of error. Okay, this is important because John is writing, if you remember in our first John series, if you've been with us, John is writing to a, the early church who is in crisis right now because there have been people who are coming who are preaching a false doctrine. Specifically, they're preaching a doctrine that is against Christ, hence the word anti-Christ. It is in specific rebellion to who Christ is. So we get hung up on that word because you've seen political posters with little mustaches scritched on them, you know, but, and we get hung up on that, but this is very just literal. They're anti Christ. And so there was a crisis where they're trying to teach that Jesus is not God because they were trying to lower their theology to meet their comfort because they wanted to match their lifestyle. Because if Jesus is God, then you don't need to live righteously. You don't need to be transformed. Really, none of this matters. I might as well pack it up. I should have stayed as an architect. So they're preaching this idea that is counter to God. And so John is saying, listen, there is deception that's coming against the church. So I need, we need to fight against that deception. This is what he's teaching. That's why he calls them children, because they are precious to him. He cares for them. So in the tone that John's using here, that he's not yelling at them. You can't yell the phrase little children. That would just be creepy. He says it gently. He's saying little children. He's like, listen, my little ones, my dear ones, you are from God and over, have overcome them. For he who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. He outlines these two forces. He who's in us, he who's in the world. What does that mean? Well, first and foremost, let's talk about he who's in us. Who's that? Well, that's the Lord, right? He who is in you. See, God sent his son to die for, for us so that we might have eternal life, but also that we might be in relationship with him. Did you know that's why you were created? That's why man was created, to have a relationship with God. Sin created a divide in that relationship because we chose rebellion and pride from the beginning. But the point was unity. Colossians 2.12 tells us, having been buried with him, meaning Jesus, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. This is what's amazing. We've been brought into life and relationship through the resurrection, but it doesn't stay there. God desired for his spirit to dwell with us. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? When it says, he who is in us, it means the Holy Spirit who dwells with us. We talked about the anointing the other day. Powerful and important that if you're a believer, you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit dwells with us. What does that mean? It means he guides us. It means he speaks truth. It means he cares. It means he directs. It means he counsels. It means all of the things that the Holy Spirit is, he speaks in and guides us in our life. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That means he who is in you, God who is with you, has brought you freedom and life and produces the fruit of the Spirit. This is why we can have, in the midst of crisis, love, joy, peace, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, because that is the fruit of the Spirit that dwells with us. Are you still with me? Amen. Amen. Okay, good. So who's in the world then? Satan. Satan is in the world. He was in the world. He's talking about Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, uh, Satan. He who is in the world. Satan is a supernatural spiritual being. First Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Hear me. We have a very real enemy, and that is Satan. Uh, you, you might have heard the name Lucifer. That show now might make a little more sense to you. <laughs> Lucifer just means bright morning star. It's, Lucifer was an angel who worshipped God, who was one of the bright shining ones, as Scripture tells us, but he was in active rebellion, and so therefore is fallen. And I wish I had all the time to explain that, but praise God, we're going to have a series on that in October, so you should come to church in October. Um, but we have a very real enemy, and it says he is in the world. Now, Sometimes the use of this word world can get confusing because John 3.16 tells us God so loved the world, but then John, 1 John tells us that the world is an enemy to God, and you're like, wait, what's going on? Well, sometimes we use different words to mean the same thing. See, the word world, as he's using it here, is not talking about like mankind or like the earth or like trees. It's like, oh yeah, he's in bushes, you know? Like there's a, there's a demon in every, every bush. You guys have that ant? You know who I'm talking about. It's probably Lucifer. It's like, you know, the cake didn't rise, probably Satan, right? No, he's not in like everything. You guys don't have that person, just me? Great. Okay, cool. Awesome. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just had hyper-religious people in my family, I guess. My bad. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's saying the world in the sense of sinful, rebellious humanity, basically the brokenness and the sin that's in uh, the world that we live in. So the world that we live in is not perfect. It is not inherently good. It's broken because sinful humanity is in rebellion. John is saying, listen, there are forces, supernatural and spiritual, that guide evil and produce evil and push evil and bring temptation and desire for there to be rebellion against God. So he is who is in the world is working to influence the brokenness and rebellion of the world. This is why the false prophets were such a big deal at the time. They didn't have a Bible they could just open up. They're working off the Old Testament and the letters of the law and the writings of the prophets. And meanwhile, these guys were coming and they were causing open rebellion to God. Are you still with me? Good, cool. Sometimes when you describe, you know, demons, Satan, all stuff, you lose some people, but you guys are doing a great job. So you're still here. Um, but this is important because he who is in the world is Satan. He who is in us is the Lord. But there's something really important that's happening here is that the forces are not equal. So, so, so important here. The, sometimes we get this kind of like um, Eastern uh, adaptation where we think there's a yin and yang happening between God and Satan. Like there's an epic struggle and they're fighting and it's like, you know, Godzilla and Mecha Godzilla. Hopefully one of them can pull it off. You know, hopefully it's God. You know. uh, but that's not even close. 
right? The, the two forces are not equal. Satan is, is not God's brother. They're, they're not related, right? God is God. God is omnipotent, right? He is all-powerful. God is omniscient, meaning he is all-knowing. God is omnipresent, meaning that he is everywhere. And Satan is none of those things. Satan was created as an angel, but Satan is, and so he's therefore powerful, but he is not more powerful than God. I say this to say, sometimes we think there's this, this like, man, I hope God makes it, and man, evil is so powerful because we see that it is so traumatic. But let me tell you, God is not concerned by the devil. He's not like, oh man, eventually one of his tricks is gonna get through. Sure hope we solve this mystery right? God is, in, is ultimately powerful and therefore has ultimate victory over the devil. God is not hoping for a win. He has already won, and he will forever win and destroy the enemy. And this is important. It's because Jesus has already won the victory. See, not only are the sides not equal, but Jesus has already won a victory, the victory over death and hell on the cross. Colossians 2, 15 says this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, this is meaning evil, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. When Jesus defeated death, he defeated the enemy. So not only are the sides not equal, not only are they not like two sides of the same coin, but one side is profoundly greater and more powerful, the other side not even on the scale, and Jesus has already reigned victorious. I say this because I think so often we, I don't all the 80s, I like to watch a lot of 80s movies, and uh, they're always about the underdog. It's like the underdog's gonna make it we're not underdogs here. Like, we're not underdogs spiritually. Jesus is not an underdog. Like, man, I sure hope he makes it. He might pull it off and save the rec center. No, he's already victorious. He's already won. He's already taken your sin to the cross and crucified it there, and he defeated sin and shame. Then they put him in the grave because they said, well, he's dead. And then he rose again and said, no, I'm not, because he defeated death and hell. Jesus is already victorious. And that is so important because though there are rebellious powers that desire your destruction, they are not more powerful than the God you serve. John 16, says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I think we do ourselves a disservice if we don't preach that there's going to be trouble in the world. Because then if, you, then if you go through trouble, you assume like you're sinning or you're broken, you're the worst. Sometimes you make dumb choices. And I have a friend who says, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. But often, often, there is real tribulation in this world. And so we must understand that though we face difficulty, Christ has already won the victory. In 1 Peter 4, I, I, love, I love Peter. I don't know if you guys read the Bible and you like Peter. I really like Peter. Uh, I can really, like, see some of my character traits, both positive and negative, in Peter. Uh, but 1 Peter 4, 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What a verse, right? You ever read Bible verse? You're like, wait, what? Don't be surprised by fiery trials? That doesn't sound like the cross-stitch pillow my grandma has. Again, I'm the only one with spiritual, you know, grandparents or something. I don't remember. <laughs> like that, that's a, but he's saying, don't be surprised. Why don't be surprised? Yes, the forces are not equal. Yes, Jesus has won the victory, but we are in a spiritual battle. 
That's so important. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is what I find so amazing, is that our culture is fascinated by the supernatural and yet does not respect it at all. How, how is that? Like, we have so many shows about the supernatural. We have shows called Lucifer, Supernatural. You know, I'm not, like, beating up on these shows. I'm just saying, like, we have all these shows about this. We have movies. Like, the most popular category of movies is Supernatural movies, right? There's a show with, like, a million and a half seasons where they go back and forth with angels and demons and back and forth. How many times is Craig or whatever his neck going to be a demon, right? It's called Supernatural, right? We're fascinated by the Supernatural. But, like, we like the CW version. But if you, like, say anything about the Supernatural, people are like, yeah, okay, cool, man. Like, yeah, no, totally. Like, like if you've ever just in your thought, I, I read a study recently about uh, angels, and they were uh, they were studying people who were who were afraid to say that they felt like they had seen an angel because they were considered normal in society, and so they were terrified to tell anybody. But so often, people who have seen something supernatural uh, are afraid to say something. Why? It's like there's a million shows about it. Why are we afraid to say something? Because if you say something, you sound like a wacko, right? Could you imagine if I got up and I was like, there's angels here. You guys would be like, what happening? <laughs> but I mean, there could be, I don't Yeah. But isn't that weird how, like, it gets so uncomfortable? Like, the mood just so changed as soon as I said angels. We're like, ah, yeah, cool. Yeah, oh, yeah, no. Like, just tell your friend, hey, man, I think maybe, like, there's some demonic forces going on. And watch him be like, oh, word, cool, yeah. <laughs> don't invite him to golf with me again. Right? <laughs> next time, not a force. <laughs> He's out. Why? Because it's weird, right? Like, can we just, like, admit that it's a little uncomfortable to try to understand uh, spiritual, supernatural forces, that we don't fully understand it, that we can't fully wrap our hands around it, that we need to understand a little more? And it's like, yes, there's some people that apparently really understand it, but we, there's, a, there's just, there's things that are outside of our control, and yet there's always things that are outside of what we can grasp. Consciousness, memories, understanding. There's things that we cannot wrap our, our head around, our, our thoughts around, our hands around. Like reason. Reason's a thing. How do, you, how do you get around it? It's an idea, right? So there's all these things that we can't control, but the supernatural, when we start talking about that, it's like, I don't know. I don't know about this, these people. These people are kind of weird. But I need to tell you, because I'm going to do you a disservice as your pastor or as somebody that you came to, to visit at this church, I'm going to do you a disservice if I don't tell you the truth, that there is a real supernatural spiritual battle, that there is a real supernatural realm, that there are supernatural and spiritual forces, that there are demons, that there are angels, that there are demonic forces. Like, I, I don't know how that's necessarily influencing your life in this moment, but let me tell you that it is real. And so I lie to you if I don't preach the whole Bible to you. And so I'm telling you that there is a spiritual battle taking place. What you see happening in the world is not just physical. It is spiritually influenced. The enemy desires to trap people in fear. The enemy desires for you to be locked in your home forever, never communing with any believers because you are so trapped in fear. The enemy wants you to live in bitterness because you're no good to, to anybody if everybody around you just poisoned with bitterness. He wants you to live in that state. He wants you to be angry. He wants you to be hopeless. He wants you to be depressed. There are demonic forces, and yes, the forces are not equal. Yes, Jesus has already won the victory, but we are in a battle. Are you with me? Do you hear me? 
We are in a battle. And I know if you've never heard me preach, then you might think that this is just my normal, is talking about angels and demons. But let me assure you, I'm not crazy, but I do believe the Bible. And if that makes me crazy, then I'm super nuts. Because I believe what it says, there is a, there is, though sin is defeated, the enemy is still active because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan lost on the cross, but he is a sore loser. And so he comes against us with tricks and with traps and with attacks to destroy, to steal, kill, and destroy. Here's some of the things. Tell me if you noticed any of these. Deception deception. One of the biggest deceptions that the enemy uh, comes with is that there is no fight, because there's no easier enemy to beat than the one who's not ready to fight you. Right? The easiest punch to win on is a sucker punch. Right? Someone's like, I'm not fighting you, and then if you hit them, you got a high, higher percentage of success. Right? But the enemy's coming out swinging, so if you're not ready to fight, you're going to lose. So the enemy likes to convince us, man, the supernatural stuff is too weird, man. I know First Peter says, be alert and sober-minded because your enemy prowls around like a lion. But that's stuff they believed in the old ways. We're so elevated and we're so enlightened. We're so postmodern. Spiritual forces don't have any control over us. And they're like, perfect, you keep believing that and we'll keep winning. So they deceive us. I don't want to seem crazy so I don't end up fighting the real enemy. How about distraction? Anyone notice distraction? I think it's crazy to me that the enemy is so good at distracting us. The church has spent more time fighting over whether we should wear masks. They have invested more energy into shouting about their rights about masks than they have telling people about the hope of Jesus Christ. I get it. I don't love masks. I hate them. They make my face itch. My face is still itching. It's been itching for eight and a half weeks. I don't like it, but I wear it. The government says, blah, 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 blah. I don't care. But the reality is if you have put more effort into screaming and pissing and moaning on Facebook about a mask than you have declaring the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that's going to save someone's eternity, you're not a freedom fighter. You're distracted. You are distracted. The enemy distracts us by creating disunity, offense, bitterness, unnecessary conflict. He takes us off the mission, and he makes us fight each other. If you're not fighting the enemy, you're going to start fighting people around you because you're built to fight. But he distracts us. Third one, discouragement. Man, I, I don't know if you're like me, but I felt some discouragement in this season. Man, it was, it was, it's, been, it's been tough, if I can be honest with you, as your pastor, to, to really fight and to build, a, to build a church, to give up everything I've ever known, to move, to feel like, man, taking such a hit to the mission and just trying to get out there and love our city, just trying to care for people, just trying to like, love and just feel that, like, you can't even talk to people, you can't even go up to people. So I, I've been, if you've been feeling discouraged, trust me, uh, we're in good company with each other. But that's how the enemy likes to work, because from the beginning, did you know the enemy has been a discourager? Genesis 3, 1, he says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? From the beginning, Satan has been saying, Are you sure? You know, if God loved you, he would fill in the blank. If God loved you, wouldn't you have a spouse by now? 
If God loved you, wouldn't like he tell you his plan for your life? If God loved you, why would this be so hard? If God loved you, right? How many of you have heard the words of discouragement spoken into your life? If God loved you, wouldn't this already be happening right now? Wouldn't this already be going? Wouldn't you feel this, have this, want this? If God loved you, that's what he does. He tries to come against the dreams, vision, health, and character of your life to cut you down because he is a discourager. But he also spreads doubt and lies. I'm just trying to bring him up to the surface here so you can take a look at him so when we kick him down later, you understand what we're doing it for. That doubt and lies are part of his mode. I love Jesus says in John 8, he says, Satan was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and the father of lies. Go get him, Jesus. <laughs> Satan is a liar. That's what he does. But what I think is interesting about Satan is that he seems to use half-truth as lies. Isn't it interesting that when he tempted Jesus, he did it using scripture? Scary note here for you. The enemy has the Bible memorized. It might be time to get to work. Because he brings scripture against Jesus, but Jesus fights him with the truth, the scripture, because he has the Holy Spirit, and we're told the Holy Spirit gives us truth, and I'm getting too far ahead of my message, but I'm really excited. But the enemy comes in with doubt and lies, and he says, God doesn't love you, God doesn't want you, God doesn't hear you. The one that I feel like he's saying a lot right now is, this is never going to end. The season's never going to change. My favorite thing about seasons is that they end. That's the only reason we can make it through the summer here. But the enemy brings doubts and lies. But here's what John is trying to tell a suffering church. How can we have hope? The enemy's coming against us. He's attacking us. He's bringing distraction and discouragement. He's bringing doubt and lies. He's bringing deception. How can we, how can we be so encouraged? How can we have hope? How can we be hopeful people in this season? It's because God fights for us. He who is with us is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in, who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. God fights for us. God dwells within us. He does spiritual warfare with us on our behalf, goes before us. The Holy Spirit is with us. I know we love to see the Holy Spirit just for the gifts, but can I tell you one of the best things about the Holy Spirit is his indwelling within us to go with us, that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. There is nothing that the world can conjure up in the depths of evil that can overcome the God who dwells within you. I want to tell you a couple of truths about the God that's within you here this morning. You ready? Okay, if you're taking notes, write this down. God's truth is greater than Satan's lies. Satan has some real good lies, but they don't even scratch the surface of the power of the truth of God. Why? Because John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Jesus not only knows the truth, he is the truth. It's who he is. God not only knows truth, speaks truth, promises truth, he is truth. His character, his nature is to be true. That's amazing. You can't change that. The lies of the enemy cannot break that away. John 16, 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. For he's not going to speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, meaning what God speaks to him, he will speak and declare to you the things that are to come. See, the Holy Spirit teaches us truth and breaks the lies of the enemy. If you need to know what's truth in your, in your season, then you need to spend time in prayer with the Holy Spirit, praying in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and he will show you what is true. 
Okay, second thing. God's mission is greater than Satan's distractions. God's mission is greater than Satan's distractions. I love Nehemiah. One of the Nehemiah fans in the building. Um, but Nehemiah, when, when he goes back and he's building the walls of uh, Israel, Israel has been devastated. The, they get to go back. The king lets them go back uh, from their exile back to, back to Israel. But in the meantime, there's some opposition that comes against them. Some people start lying, speaking against the character, speaking against motive. And Nehemiah is smart enough to know this is not just physical opposition. This is spiritual opposition. And this is what he sends back, just this solid burn text. He says to them, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. That's another way of saying you're full of it. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from work and will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hand. Nehemiah. Here's the reality. If Satan can't deceive you, he'll distract you. If Satan can't deceive you, he'll distract you. Say, hey, why don't you focus on some disunity, some dissatisfaction, some selfishness, some small conflict. This is why churches that have been given the Great Commission end up fighting over, like, fabric, um, um, carpet, like what kind of chairs we have, what's on the walls. I've seen whole churches tear in half because one day the youth pastor decided to paint the back of the stage black. I'm thankful that we're a young church and none of y'all care about this. <laughs> it's very easy to, to pastor you because you're a blessing and you know we're only like two years old. Uh, but I've seen whole churches ripped apart and fight on that because if he can't deceive you, he's just going to distract you. He's going to bring those things. See, we should be locked into the mission that God has. But instead, have you found that in COVID, when you thought you were going to be like so disciplined, you're going to finally get those abs. You know what I'm talking about. You're going to work out every day, and then you ended up just kind of back in the same reoccurring sin that you didn't want to be in because you got distracted. You got unfocused. But we got to keep our eyes locked on the mission that God has given us. Did you know that God gave us the great commission and the good news? He didn't give us the okay commission and the kind of neat news. He gave us the great commission. You know what the great commission is? Go into all the world, preaching, making disciples, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the commands that I've given to you. If you are here today, if you're watching online, and you're like, I don't know if I have purpose or plan or mission in my life, let me just give it to you right now from Jesus to you. The great commission is your purpose, plan, and mission in life. That the gospel, the good news, this is what's amazing. You might have lots of tasks and duties and, and desires and vision and dreams, but your commission is the good news. That means when everything is falling apart, you got something good to share. That means when you're at the coffee shop and the person's been yelled at like six times by somebody who wants to use the bathroom but can't because Starbucks can't open their bathrooms, but they're not in charge of it. They literally make $9 an hour, but some like eight people have come in and yelled at them, trying to get their Frappuccinos, and you come in. You know what you have to share with them? The good news. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, you can share that in every platform, masked, unmasked, digital, in-person, everything. The good news. God has given you the good news to proclaim. This is why we're crazy, because we got something good to say when none of the world does. Look on the earth, it's like riot, destruction, tearing things down, blowing things up, blah, 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 blah. You know what we have? We got good news, that there's hope for every future and healing for every pastor, Jesus Christ. God's mission is greater than Satan's distractions. God's vision for your future is greater than your current frustration. We're just tackling each one of these lies, and we're going to counter it with the truth of God right here. He who is in you is greater than the world. God's vision for your future is greater than your current frustration. 
Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You were created for great things, but the enemy wants you to think you're forgotten. Okay, this goes back to this doctrine I'm talking about. If we don't preach about suffering, then we feel forgotten when we suffer. But the reality is, just because you're frustrated doesn't mean you're forgotten. God still loves you. God still cares for you. And he knows that you face difficulty. He also knows that he has overcome the world. But just because you're frustrated doesn't mean you're forgotten. It doesn't mean you're forsaken. 2 Corinthians 4.8 says, We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed. I love that word, perplexed. Anyone been perplexed lately? Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. The apostles had perspective. They said, okay, Jesus said the world hates him. It's going to hate us. And now we're following the guy the world hates. So why does the world hate him? Because the world in sin and brokenness stands in opposition to the freedom and hope that comes through Jesus Christ. And so we basically called ourselves little Christ. And then our surprise that the enemy doesn't like that. We took his name. So we're little Christ. We follow him. We pursue him. We're his children. And the enemy's like, oh, no, I super hate that. I'm going to do something about that. And we're like, I can't believe it. It's because there is actual real evil that comes against us. But the reality is if you suffer, it's not because you are forsaken. It's because you are a forgiven child of God. And it turns out the enemy doesn't like that. I'm not saying all suffering is like a direct hand of the devil. I'm just saying he is at work in the rebellious, broken nature of the world. And we need to understand that because you face suffering, just like the early church, does not mean that God does not love you, does not see you, does not know you, and does not care for you. It means that we will face suffering difficulty. This is important. God's strength is greater than the enemy's attack. Remember when I said they weren't equal? Also, their power is not equal, right? Like, devil doesn't have some stockpile of artillery or some mega super weapon James Bond style that God is really hoping he doesn't pull out, because God is all-powerful. His strength is greater than the enemy's attack. That's why in the next verses in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, they say, though they were, you know, persecuted, struck down, all this, they say, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Though we face spiritual attack, he's saying we are renewed daily by God who is with us and dwells with us and cares for us. That's why the psalmist, though he is pursued, beaten, attacked, his character is maligned, his family is taken. At some points, parts of them are killed. At some points, his you know, wives are, are brutalized on the roof. I mean, he is treated poorly in his life. He is still able to say, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Though the enemy attacks you, he who is with you is still greater than he who is in the world. Romans 8 31, what shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. This is why you can be that weird person in your family that has hope. And the rest of your family is looking at you like, what? What happened to you, man? Right? Some of you, when you found Christ, you were just like so hopeful and on fire. Your family was like, man, you got weird. <laughs> and it's because you were hopeful because you found the hope of the world that is Jesus Christ. This is why the church, I, I, 
I know that there's always this push to characterize the church a certain way, but let me tell you about the church that I know, that I have studied, that I have devoted my life to. The church that I know, we are not some financial economic superpower. We are the people who have sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed. We were the first to care for the lepers. We were first to care for those in the plague. We were first to care for those who were cast out. We were the first to bring in the refugees. We were the first to care for the orphans and the widows. We were care for the people who nobody cared for. We went to the people that nobody wanted to go to. We talked to the people that nobody would talk to because that's what our Savior did. Now, we have not been perfect at it, and there have been people that have not been treated well, and I understand that. From, from the beginning, though, the gospel and those who lived truly in the gospel of Jesus Christ have been the crazy kind of people that talked, cared for, blessed, sat with, lived with, died for the people that nobody even bothered to care for. And there is a hope and a freedom in Jesus Christ. That's why when people were brought over to this country in chains and, and they found the hope of Jesus Christ, even though they were still in chains and slavery, they developed their own churches, they cared, they even welcomed in outsiders of other skin colors, and, and they brought people in, though they themselves were highly diminished and devalued and enslaved, and they built spirituals and verses and scripture, and they sang songs, and they had deliverance and freedom, and they continue to this day with a boisterous and proud history and culture of freedom in this country. Why? How can you be so happy when you're in such garbage? Because you know that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in me is greater than he who has tried to enslave me. He who is in me is greater than he who has tried to come against me and break me down and speak against me. He who is in me is greater than the force of the world. I'm not afraid of this virus. It doesn't mean I'm not going to be wise or smart. That's why we have social distancing and yada yada here. But I'm not foolish. I understand what the enemy's doing. I understand the division that's happening. And I also understand that my God is victorious and that he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. So just as I'm wise, I'm also not fearful. And I believe that God has come to destroy the lies of the enemy. It's time, church, for us to stop being so afraid of everything that comes and so surprised by the difficulty and start saying, listen, he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. We don't fear like others fear because we got something different, the hope of the world. Man, that makes it worth sharing. Can I tell you that? It's not even in my notes. Just, I know I'm running out of time here. Ben, actually, you can come up. Makes it worth sharing because if you got a hope, you got to tell somebody. You got to tell somebody. He who is in me is greater than he who's in the world. I'm going to give you three things coming out of Ephesians here as we close. How do we live in this hope? How do we step up into this moment, into this spiritual battle? I want to read you Ephesians 6.10. We've read a lot of scripture today, but it's kind of our thing. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. 
In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This is so important. Three things I want to give to you today. Actually, four. But real quick. How do we step up into this moment? I believe the church is getting called up into a moment of spiritual battle more than ever before. But can I tell you the first thing? He says, keep alert with all perseverance. Let me tell you another way of saying that. Recognize the battle call. Recognize it. The battle is happening. Are you ready or are you constantly surprised? I was telling Jensen in first service because he happened to stand next to me that judging by Facebook, I would say we're constantly surprised. We're like, I can't believe, I can't believe, I can't believe, I can't believe, I can't believe the schools, I can't believe the government, I can't believe. I'm like, really? Because when I read the Bible, I can super believe it. <laughs> and that's not to, to mock anybody in, in those settings, but just say, I understand what's behind it. You get spiritualized, you understand it better. Gotta recognize the battle call, First Peter 4, that verse says, do not be surprised the fiery trial when it comes upon you as though something strange were happening. I think it's time for Christians to realize when you receive the gospel and the hope, you don't go into neutral. There is no neutral. It's not like the enemy's like, oh, oh man, ah, there goes another one. Guess I'll leave him alone. I'll keep going, right? It's not checkers. They don't, you don't come off the board. You just get in the fight. Recognize the battle call. The second thing is you got to put on the armor of God. Church, it's time. It's time that not only do we recognize the battle call, the call to spiritual battle, the interceding, but we also put on the armor of God because you have been given power and authority through God. It's time to put on the armor of God. God has given the tools that we need to resist the enemy. James 1.13 says, No one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. But God promises in his scripture that when we are tempted, he will give us a way out. Why? Because he's given us the armor of God. He's given us the word of God. He's given us the teachings. Here's the reality, church. It's time, like Joshua said, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. You decide today who you will serve. The church, we're at, we're at a tipping point right now, a mighty pruning of the church in this moment to say, listen, there has to be a choice if we're really going to pursue God, become disciples of Jesus. You're not a disciple of Banner Church. I don't wish for the glory of the name on this building. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's about his glory and his honor. The question is, will I obey his teachings. How do I know his, his teachings? I got to read the Bible. Will I pursue him in his word? Will I run after him? He's given you the tools in this season to have hope, joy, peace, and life. He's given you his Holy Spirit so that you have victory in this space. The question is, will you walk secured in the armor? Will you walk in the word of God? Or will you just say, ah, there isn't a fight. I don't know. Occasionally, I'm going to walk around unarmed. Are you ready for what God wants to do? Because can I tell you, you can be one of those crazy people that God uses to do a miracle in a crisis season because of the gospel. Third thing. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with prayer and supplication. I initially called this point, pray, 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 pray. But I'll just say it this way, pray at all times. I don't know when it happened that prayer became a byproduct of a Christian life rather than the foundation, but it's like everything. We have the word and we have prayer. Prayer is everything. You know what you should do when you hang out with your friend to pray? 
You know what you should do when you wake up? Pray. You know what you should do when you're walking down the street? Pray. You know what you should do when you're discouraged? Pray. You know what you should do when you're tempted? Pray. You know what you should do when you just want to draw near in that moment? Pray. Pray at all times because it's a blessing. Did you know for centuries people built idols to gods that cannot hear them, cannot help them, cannot change anything, and yet God intimately desires to commune with us, to hear our prayers, to care about us? That's a blessing. Pray at all times. Scripture says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And James 5.16b says, the prayer of a righteous person has power as it is working. This is how we fight the spiritual battle. It's prayer. Pastor, what is the secret? I don't know how to, how to, how to break out of this place that I'm in and the discouragement. Prayer. No, I want something more complicated. Nope. Prayer. Pastor, we, th this country needs to come together. Maybe in November, if we can vote for, nope, prayer. I'm not, I'm not saying remove your civic duty. Don't be that person that emails me about that later. Please vote. <laughs> prayer, prayer. When you gather together somebody, you know how you can have more friends? Pray for more people with more people. I'm really struggling to have friends. Well, pray with more people. Find out what they really need God to do in their life, not just what they watched last night. Pray, pray, pray. Pray in all times in the Spirit. Okay, here we go, Pentecostal church. You ready? Pray in all times in the Spirit. Okay, now we got weird. Okay. Be led by the Spirit in your prayer that He might both manifest the gifts and the fruit as you're praying, that He would lead you. Pray, God, would you give me prophecy, things that are not? Would you show me as they could be? God, would you, would you give me spiritual language and speaking in tongues and utterances? God, would you give me discerning of spirits? God, would you give me wisdom? Amen? Amen. God, would you give me wisdom and clarity? God, we need you, Holy Spirit, to, to move through us as we pray. Pray not as a last resort, but a primary battle plan. Church, it is time that we put on the armor of God. But once we put on the armor, we have to go fight. And how do we fight our battle? With prayer. With prayer. Pray with somebody. That I told first service, I said, click on live prayer. And I, I would guess maybe, I don't know, Megan's back there, so maybe she, no one did. Uh, I don't know. Very few people do, and I'm thinking, how can you spend all week alone and then not click to have somebody pray with you? How can you go out of this building and not have someone pray with you? Pray with somebody. Pray, 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 pray. Are you hearing me? It's time to fight the battle, church. The enemy is already fighting, and your Facebook post will not stop him. Only your prayer. Pray, pray. And in all this, the final thing, we stand in Christ. Stand firm in Christ. First Corinthians 15, 57. My wife quoted it earlier. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. See, having confident hope is not arrogant or ignorant. We're not foolish for believing that God heals and transforms and renews. We're just trusting in the promises of God. But can I tell you, it's time, church, to choose and say, God, I step into the battle and I believe that he who is in me is greater than he who's in the world. And I'm going to let that affect how I live, how I pray, how I pursue you. I'm going to let that transform me. God, would you allow that truth to transform me? That he who is in me is greater than the conflict that comes against me. He who is in me is greater than the trials I face. He who is in me is greater than 
than the brokenness of my past, than the addictions that I battled. He's greater than COVID. He's greater than governments. He's greater than political parties. He's greater than all supernatural forces that would come against us. He who is in us is greater than he who's in the world. But there's a moment today, church, where we have to decide, will I press into God through prayer and his word, or will I fall back into my old habits? And can I tell you, if you press in, then you can have hope, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, understanding, self-control, even amidst crisis. People are going to think you're crazy, but you're just going to be hopeful. Why? Because he who's in you is greater than he who is in the world. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you close your eyes with me? I want to pray two things for you. If you're online, you can close your eyes with this as well. Two things. First thing, if you've been listening and you've never encountered the hope and healing of Jesus Christ, then can I tell you today is the moment. You're saying, listen, I, I don't understand all the supernatural forces thing, but I do understand when you said discouraged. I understand that. I do understand when you said... I not living life to the fullest and the full hope and the full peace. I do understand that. And I'm saying today, I need hope for my future and healing for my past. And can I tell you in this place, if you choose today to follow Jesus, I believe he will begin a miracle in your life. He will begin a miracle in your life today, right here in this place. And not only that, but you will walk and step into the most beautiful, powerful, freeing relationship you have ever encountered in this life and for all eternity. If that's you and you're saying maybe for the first time you never made that choice to follow Jesus, or maybe you have made that choice to follow Jesus, but you had a form of religion and none of its power, you've walked away and you're saying in this moment, I just wanna say, Jesus, you see me, and I'm just committing right now to follow you with my life and give my life to you and say, I choose to say yes to you today. If that's you, whether you're in person or you're online, would you just lift your hands? We wanna pray with you today. Let's pray, dear Jesus, I thank you this morning that you are so good and your love is so real. I thank you that you came and you died for us. And I thank you that there is hope for every future and healing for every past through you. And I pray right now for every person that's making that decision to say, I choose to follow you. We just say this morning, God, we repent of all sin and unrighteousness. We lay it at your feet. We say, Jesus, we recognize you and need you as our Lord and Savior over our life. And we say yes to following you today. We pray, Holy Spirit, would you indwell within us and guide us as we walk in this journey and protect us and go with us in Jesus' holy name, amen. Second thing this morning, stay in this mode if you would, then the band's gonna lead us here in the song about the goodness of God. But I wanna pray with you. If you're in this place and you're saying, just you and the Lord, you're saying in this moment, man, I'm ready to step into the battle. I've been kind of sitting spiritually on the sidelines, but right now I'm saying, you know what? I need to pray like I never be prayed before. Like the worship team says, I'm going to press in, not shut down. It seems like there's crisis all around, and yet I believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, and I need some hope. So right now, rather than hiding myself away, I'm just going to press into you through prayer and through worship and say, Lord, would you strengthen me? Would you renew me? If you're one of those today who's saying, I'm making a choice to step into the spiritual battle and walk in the victory that comes through Jesus Christ, would you just lift your hands with me? I want to pray with you this morning, saying, Jesus, today I'm making that choice to step into the spiritual battle. 
I want to pray with you. Let's just lift our hands in a, in, a, in a releasing and receiving posture this morning. Jesus, I thank you for every person here. I thank you that you are a good and faithful God. I thank you that from the beginning you have been pursuing us, that you have been running after us, that you desire us to have life to the fullest. And God, we know that there are so many today who are struggling with that fullness of life. And so, God, we thank you for the good news and the hope of Jesus. And so, God, I pray right now over every hand that's raised, I pray that as we press into this spiritual battle, I pray you would strengthen us. I pray you would renew us. I pray you'd protect us. And I pray for the fullness of the victory you desire for your church. God, I thank you that you are victorious. I thank you that you've called us to victory. God, I thank you that you who is within us is greater than he who is in the world. You're greater than anything that could come against us. You're greater than any lie. You're greater than any distraction. You're greater than any deception. You're greater than any discouragement. And I pray this morning right now, as we step into that battle in prayer and worship, God, I pray for a mighty renewal, a mighty call, and a mighty spread of the gospel in Jesus Christ. We thank you that there is hope even in crisis through Jesus Christ. We thank you this morning. If that's you this morning, and that's your prayer, before we take this moment to worship and sing of the goodness of God, I just encourage you, take a moment, you and Jesus, and just say, Jesus, I commit my heart to stepping into the spiritual battle. And I commit my heart to praying at all times. And God, I pray that you would strengthen me in that commitment, that you would go with me in that commitment, that you would guide me in that commitment. In Jesus' name, just take that moment as we begin to worship.